I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Over the past few months, my love for growing fruit and vegetables has been reignited. I've dug over a flower patch and devoted it to beans, too many courgettes, tomatoes, kale and one solitary artichoke. And it seems like I'm not on my own. From tomatoes to turnips to thyme, social media is awash with photographs of veg patches and edible gardening in even the tiniest spaces. I'm Fiona Davison, and welcome to Gardening with the RHS. In today's show, we're getting our forks out, both the garden and the kitchen varieties, and we're learning how to grow the best plants for our plates. Of course, one of the joys of growing your own produce is getting to eat fresh fruit and veg. I'm definitely a fan of a plate full of delicious treats grown in my own garden, And one of my favourite things is picking tomatoes hot from the garden sun. And I'm afraid not a lot of them make their way back into the kitchen. I eat them on the way back through the garden. And it was through trying her own homegrown food that our next guest discovered a love for a certain fruit, the gooseberry. Kirsty Ward runs a popular blog and Instagram account all about her allotment activity. I'm Kirsty Ward from My Little Allotment. I've had my allotment for three years. It is my absolute sanctuary. I love it. It's helped improve my mental health and I love growing a huge variety of fruit, vegetables and flowers. I think for me, my plant love story, it has to be something edible, obviously, because I'm obsessed with my allotment, but it has to be gooseberries. Gooseberries are a lovely, small, fruit they come in different colors so you can get them in green or red slightly different flavors they are quite tart and sour to taste but a lot of people add them to puddings when they're a little bit bigger and pick them when they're a little bit fatter and softer and then they have a sweeter taste and they're just incredible my dad had an allotment when i was younger and one of the big memories was gooseberries and eating them until we had really bad tummy ache I love picking them fresh off the plant. I love anything that's got a really nice sort of tart or sour taste. So for me, that was amazing. And I can always remember going up to my granddad's and spending time with him. And gooseberries were always something that we'd pick and eat. This year, I plan to make lots of gooseberry tarts and things like that. 
adding them to puddings to make with the children and then hopefully enjoying them outside in the garden in the summer. But I think a lot of it for us will be eating them fresh off the plant. With gooseberries, I would always recommend that you net the plants because the birds love them. And if you actually want to harvest them and eat them, you need to protect them from the birds. So a nice fine mesh, like a scaffolding mesh, is really good for netting them. But also they like to have good airflow. So make sure that when you're pruning them, you prune some of the stalks out of the middle so that they've got a good airflow through the plant. Otherwise, they can get gooseberry mold and rot. I've planted quite a lot of gooseberry plants on my allotment and actually they're nice and established this year so I should get a really good harvest so I'm going to enjoy picking them and eating them until my tummy hurts. <laughs> Kirsty Ward on her lifelong relationship with the gooseberry. Gooseberry was in fact one of the many historic names given to the devil. But they've also had their fair share of love. Particularly in the 19th century, they became so popular that gooseberry clubs were formed and members competed to grow the heaviest fruit. The clubs were most popular in the north of England and that's possibly why my heart is close to them. And in the library, we've got some lovely books from 19th century northern gooseberry growers. And in fact, in the 19th century, I think there were 170 gooseberry clubs operating, and today only a handful survive. It's clear our members are getting very into their veg patches. Our gardening advisors have been inundated with questions about growing your own. This week's team is Lee Hunt, Jenny Bowden and James Lawrence. Let's start by hearing a question from listener Ali Cox. We have made a vegetable raised bed in our garden with the hope to start growing our own. And I've heard of crop rotation, but where to start, what to plant first and what not to plant in the first year. Right. Well, is it a sensible thing to do crop rotation in raised beds, Jenny? I personally wouldn't be too concerned about it. I wouldn't actually do a strict crop rotation because the beds are too small. There are various ways you can approach it. You could just not bother about it at all. Plant what you want, when you want, where you want. And if you get a problem, then don't plant that particular crop there again. That's one way of approaching it. Or you could just avoid replanting the same crop two years running. Those things that might be susceptible to more diseases like or pests, like, for example, carrots with carrot root fly, things where pests can overwinter in that soil. Ali did ask about things to plant in the first year. Is there anything thinking about we're now in early summer that they can really get on with and be successful with now? Yeah, there's still plenty of things that you can plant now. And I think maybe things like lettuces are still fine for carrots. And then you've got some quick growing crops that you could start with as well. So things like radishes or even beetroot. So these are all things that are relatively easy to grow and get into. But what I will say is crucial here really is grow what you like to eat because so many people fall into that trap of just growing things that they don't necessarily even like to eat because they feel that they should be growing them as part of a rotation or as part of a system. The next question comes from Jane Gray. I successfully grew fennel last year, but never harvested the bulb. Would the panel 
Please advise how and when to harvest fennel. Well, fennel does have that unfortunate habit of bolting very quickly. So you get flowers, which are wonderful for flower arranging, but not much good if you want to eat them. Any top tips to get started off on a good footing? Well, it's a very timely vegetable to be talking about because now is the time. Around solstice day is good traditionally, but because there's more, slightly more bolt resistant varieties available any time through June is good. It's an annual crop, so it does all its growing and you harvest it in that same year. Assuming we are really talking about Florence fennel as opposed to the fennel that you would just harvest the foliage from, we're talking about really the kind of fleshy leaves they're actually it's actually sort of modified leaf stem at the base which a lot of people think of as a bulb constant moisture without being waterlogged is really good otherwise that can initiate the bolting sometimes dramatic changes in climate or temperature can initiate bolting as well but i just think keep an eye on that swollen section at the bottom of the stems and there is a period where the kind of swelling stops and then you start noticing an elongation of the stems. And that's the point at which you really are looking at, at harvesting it. So the next question is from Elizabeth from South London. We are about to build some raised beds for a vegetable garden in our back garden. Unfortunately, our light situation is a bit difficult. During the spring and during the autumn and winter, we have some quite good light because the sycamore trees, which overhang that part of the garden from our neighbours, don't have the leaves on. Unfortunately, right at the top of the growing season, the sycamore trees are in leaf and they completely block all the sunlight that would fall on the vegetable garden. Are there any vegetables which would either thrive during the winter and early seasons or who would cope with some quite deep shade during warm summers. James, this sounds like a perfect one for your expertise because you've got quite a shady garden. Yes, yes, I've got a reasonably shady garden and although some of the area that I've put over to vegetables does get sun, there are a couple of raised bed areas which don't. I think really you'll read a lot of literature and you'll see a lot of advice that says, you know, most vegetables are going to be more productive with sun, but but actually there are quite a few that will still do really well with a bit of shade. I have no problem at all growing things like lettuce and chard and spinach. And actually some of these things, if it's too hot for them, they can actually sometimes stretch and bolt. And so a little bit of shade is quite good. Kale, I think is actually another one which tends to do fine for me in shade. Fairly quick growing crops tend to not mind being a bit of a shade. So radish, beetroot tend to do okay as well. And actually some of the brassica groups as well. So a lot of the cabbages, kohlrabi, turnips, they don't mind. I mean, there, there is also the opportunity perhaps to try some bush fruit that doesn't mind a bit of shade. So gooseberries and blackcurrants do well for me in shade. So quite a few there to think about. This question's from Stephen Cook. My neighbour at the allotment gave me a vine about three years ago and I've now got three what look to be fairly healthy bunch of grapes. However, there seems to be a lot of more smaller grapes forming and now I'd like to know, do I trim those back or do I let everything develop and see what happens? 
well with these warmer summers that we seem to be having. Grapes are an ideal crop to try and see if we can get a decent amount of grapes off. So it's been in for a few years. Is three years long enough to get a decent crop? Well, I think actually Stephen's actually doing quite well to be getting three bunches already if they've only been in three years. So I think patience is important. Should you remove some of the smaller additional bunches? In my opinion, yes. Always a little bit heartbreaking because in the back of your mind, you always think, oh, can I get five or six bunches out of this? And usually what happens is they won't all fully ripen or reach to maturity. So it normally is worth starting to remove those smaller or later bunches that are forming. I would even potentially go a little bit further than that and say that keep an eye on the three bunches as well, because sometimes you might find that the actual bunches you keep themselves become quite congested. So this is something that you normally do more on a much more mature established vine, but it might be that you even remove some of the individual grapes from the clusters. The reason we do this is to kind of help really with the air circulation and so on. It it does help prevent fungal diseases in particular. As the arms extend in future years, you will be able to sustain more bunches and keep an eye on the three that are forming and act if required. Have you been stumped by a tricky grow-your-own-dilemma? Record your question on your smartphone or tablet and email it to us at podcast at rhs.org.uk. Juliet Sargent is a Chelsea gold medal winning garden designer with 20 years experience. Passionate about kitchen gardens, she runs a garden school that offers informative talks about growing the tastiest crops. years ago I had a project where my client asked me to create an edible garden and she didn't mean just the veggie patch she wanted the whole garden to be edible including a wild flower lawn so the the flowers had to be edible and that started me on a journey discovering more about ornamental plants that are tasty to eat as well as great to look at. So if you've got a very small garden, you can either have a separate little veggie area, but I think actually it's very nice to mix the veggies in with the rest of the plants, as long as you remember which ones are edible and which ones aren't. But it's nice to grow a few herbs in amongst your flowers. And of course, a lot of herbs look beautiful as well. Things like chives, rosemary, lavender, of course, is a herb you can cook with lavender flowers. And there's no reason why you can't have beautiful runner beans growing up obelisks in amongst your plants. Or you could have little lettuces, because lettuces don't mind a little bit of shade, so they don't mind being tucked in between other plants. So that's a good thing to do if you haven't got a lot of space. But if you want to have a particular area set aside for growing food, I would still say let's mix and match and treat your kitchen garden more like what they would call a potager. And a potager is a productive garden that also looks beautiful. And it's a good idea to grow pollinating plants. 
so that the bees and the insects are sort of buzzing around the flowers. And then they will also pollinate your fruit trees and your, and your fruit bushes. And the best way to give yourself a good start is to really improve your soil as much as you possibly can. So when I'm designing potagers for other people, I always include raised beds because that means that no matter how grotty your soil is, you can build the level up a little bit and just put in some lovely compost, some good topsoil or some manure, and you'll find that your plants will just romp away and you'll have success in no time. And there's nothing like success with food growing to uh, get you hooked on it and want you to do more and more. So if you're setting out a potager, think very much about the look of it and how it will feel to be in it. So when I'm thinking about a potager, I make sure that, for example, the paths are wide enough so that it's comfortable to be able to wheel a wheelbarrow around and you're not forever getting frustrated by clunking about with your wheelbarrow. And I always include a seat because I think it's really nice at the end of a gardening day just to sit with a cup of tea or even a gin and tonic and look at the, the results of your labour. And I always make sure that I design it so that it's as comfortable to work in. So, for example, I've mentioned raised beds. Raised beds are a good idea. But also I will have plenty of vertical surfaces so either obelisks or vertical trellis for growing beans, sweet peas, peas, cucumbers. You can train cucumbers upwards, which is a good idea because they take up a lot of space if you have them on the ground. So train those upwards. And so by having plants growing vertically, not only is it practical, but it makes the space look interesting because you've got things of different heights flowering and fruiting away. So I pay a lot of attention to the permanent structure and the permanent structure would also include fruit trees. It's really good to try and include fruit trees. And if you haven't got a lot of space, there are lots of dwarf varieties that don't take up too much room or you can train fruit trees so that they are just very slender cordons they're called, or very low stepovers. So for example, where I um, have my allotment, it's very, very windy. And I, I noticed that all the blossom was being blown off the fruit trees. And so of course, we're getting no fruit. So what I do now is I grow these low trained stepover fruit trees, so that the branches are down below the wind. And I find I have no trouble and I they fruit beautifully. And um, they're a lovely way of creating separate areas within your veggie garden or your potager. So what to grow now? My courgettes and cucumbers are well underway, but something that I have got still in the seed tray is my cucamelons, which are, it's a lovely plant. It's related to the cucumber family, but they're tiny, they're about an inch long. I suppose like a gooseberry and they look like tiny little melons but they have a sort of cucumbery, juicy cucumbery flavour and you just pop them in singly. 
they're not hardy so they have to be started off a bit later that's why I'm growing them from seed now and they need lots of water and sunshine but they're a fun thing to grow they, they probably wouldn't fill you up <laughs> but they're a really fun thing to grow especially if you're growing with children of course to grow something a bit different that they can just pick one and pop it in their mouth straight from the plant. Juliet Sargent. Why not tell me about your homegrown experiences on social media? Just search for the RHS and use the hashtag RHS podcast. For more on how to grow fruit and veggies at home, see the links to our programme page at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. And if you're looking for more gardening inspiration, just a reminder, you can now visit our RHS gardens across the country. But remember, booking's essential, and you can do that through our website. In next week's show, get your sun cream and sandals ready. We're off on a plant holiday. It's about the Maquis and the Garrigue, where the plants grow wild amongst the rocks and stones, where there's intoxicating scents of rosemaries and lavenders. I'm really looking forward to that mini getaway. Until next time, it's goodbye from me, Fiona Davison. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.